The pipeline in Retina is bursting. Which datasets shared at the ASRS 2021 meeting provided insights into the future of Retina? I'm Greg Notstein, he's Scott Kurzweilis, and this is New Retina Radio's ASRS coverage from Retina Today and Bryn Mawr Communications. Dr. Mark Barakat joined the podcast to discuss top-line results from a study examining the supercoil delivery of RGX314. And Dr. Nancy Holkamp stopped by to educate us on the potential for targeting C1Q in the complement cascade in patients with geographic atrophy. What's the latest in the Phase 2 Archer study? Stay tuned to New Retina Radio's ASRS 2021 coverage to find out. We should be cautious with our optimism, but it appears that gene therapy in the form of RGX314 holds promise for patients with wet AMD. The problem? Subretinal delivery used in early phase research is invasive and could serve as a major barrier to adoption of this therapy. Could supercoil delivery mitigate this potential obstacle to adoption? If so, it would have to be as safe and effective as current treatment options. To hear more on this, we turn to Dr. Mark Barakat, who shared data from the Phase 2 Aviate study at this year's ASRS meeting. Dr. Barakat is the director of the Retinal Research Institute at Retinal Consultants of Arizona. Dr. Barakat, welcome to New Retina Radio. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Remind us what RGX314 is and why it has the potential to treat wet AMD patients. So RGX314 is a novel AAV8 vector that encodes a gene for monoclonal antibody for anti-VEGF, which has the potential for long-term expression of anti-VEGF in the target uh, tissues, which in this case, of course, would be the, the retina. And this would be ideal for someone that has a, a chronic need for frequent anti-VEGF injections in conditions such as wet macular degeneration. Phase 1 data were promising and showed that RGX314 was safe Tell us more about the phase two study. You know, in this phase two study, uh, we actually transitioned uh, from a surgical approach to a supercoroidal injection. A supercoroidal injection is done in office. It uses the potential space between the choroid and and the structures above it, such as the RP and the retina, and uh, targets the the tissues that you really want and reduces the likelihood of, of expression and inflammation elsewhere. One of the issues that we have encountered with gene therapy is unfortunately with an intravitreal approach, there's a higher likelihood of inflammation. And one of the potential benefits of this approach is the in-office procedure, but also bypassing the intravitreal approach. So in this phase two study, patients were randomized to receive either supercoidal injections of RGX314 or intravitreal ranibizumab. All patients received one dose of intravitreal venibizumab at day one, were checked for anatomic response at week one, and if they had an anatomic response, were then randomized at week two. They received, it was a dose escalating trial, so they received one of five different doses, with a primary endpoint being a mean change in best corrective visual acuity at month nine. So the plan is to enroll up to 95 patients at 15 study sites in the United States. Was there any variation detected among baseline characteristics of the patients in these various arms? You know, the baseline characteristics thus far up to cohort three that we've reported seem well-balanced. 
Um, the patient average age, age was uh, approximately 75 years old with a mean of 73 letters at baseline. They all had microgeneration for approximately 23 months. And the important thing to note here is that they had received an, a mean nine annualized anti-VEGF injections prior to randomization. So these were patients that didn't just need one or two injections and, and they were good to go. These are patients that needed chronic and frequent treatment. Now let's get to the good stuff. Tell us what you found in terms of safety. No, absolutely. You know, safety in, in these trials was absolutely paramount. And so what we reported within courts one through three, uh, that RGX 314 was very well tolerated. There were four uh, serious adverse events, but none were deemed to be drug related. Now within cohort one, the uh, adverse events within the uh, treatment eye were uh, generally mild and number severe. Um, we did have 33% of rate of contractile hemorrhage, which is in keeping with any sort of injection in an office-based setting. Now, importantly, you have to hone in on the inflammation as, as we discussed. And four out of 15 patients, so 27%, did have mild inflammation. Now, this is mild. It responded well to topical steroids within days to weeks. Um, it did not result in any visible or, or uh, imaging-related vasculitis or hypotony, and it was without any prophylactic steroid regimen. So this is a, kind of a differentiator with, with other uh, gene therapies um, that uh, we've seen in the past. Now, three out of 15 patients did have reported worsening of wet AMD, all of which were reported by a single investigator at a single site. Now, this was actually in, in keeping with fluctuations of fluid in the macular generation. And these patients, uh, as, as you can see, as a, as a whole co uh, cohort did fine in terms of vision. And what about efficacy data? So, you know, you always want to take efficacy data with a grain of salt with, with early studies, and especially this being a cohort, uh, one six-month data. That said, it is very, very encouraging. So at, at six months, there was stability, and that's really the key term. The stability with central retinal thickness um, that uh, in both the RGX through and forearm and the control arm. And there's also stability with uh, uh, best corrected visual acuity with RGX uh, and um, the control arm being very closely um, aligned after the initial response to the randomizumab injection. Finding meaningful treatment burden reduction that does not sacrifice visual performance is the great white whale of wet AMD therapy. How many injections did these patients receive? In other words, did we see a significant reduction in treatment burden? First of all, I, I love the great white whale analogy. <laughs> it, it, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, right now, uh, it, it is paramount that we find something that lasts longer and that, 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 that you don't sacrifice treatment as well, right? So if you look at before RGX314 um, um, versus after, again, annualized 9 to 10 injections before, and if you look afterwards, there was a 76% drop in the treatment burden. Uh, of these patients. Four of these patients actually needed no further treatment at six months. Um, three others only need one anti-VEGF uh, injection after three months. And, and if you look at the arms, if you take the mean of each arm, right, the, the um, ranibizumab arm, of course, got seven injections, whereas on average, the, um, the entire RGX1 form uh, received less than two injections. Now, the question, of course, is, well, that's wonderful, these patients that received no further injections, did they view this and did they suffer as a result in terms of their retinal thickness or in terms of visual acuity? And when you look at just those, those patients by themselves, there was actually very little fluctuation. So it is, um, uh, we are very optimistic that this is an early signal. 
AV8 is expanding into other cohorts. What can you tell us about those? So yes, we're expanding cohorts four and five. These will be higher dosing of RGX314 in patients that are both um, and, uh, neutralizing antibodies positive and negative for, for, these, um, um, for RGX314. So we are basically trying to find the dose that would prove to have the highest uh, efficacy and the longest duration uh, while not sacrificing the, uh, the patient's uh, safety profile in so doing. So we're very excited that thus far cohorts one through three have allowed us to move on to cohorts four and five. That's compelling data. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Barakat. Absolutely my pleasure. And this will be a wonderful journey as we take it together. The complement system is full of potential targets, and it seems like new agents targeting new points in the complement cascade emerge every few months. While we've heard of drugs that inhibit C3 and C5, we haven't heard much about inhibition of C1Q, which is found far upstream of these other two targets. To learn more about C1Q inhibition, we turn to Dr. Nancy Holkamp. Dr. Holkamp is the director of the retina services at the Pepos Vision Institute in St. Louis. Dr. Holkamp, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. Tell us about where C1Q fits into the complement system and why it may be a suitable target. Sure. Well, C1Q may be a new complement factor for most people. Um, When you hear the word C1, makes you think that it's at the top of the pathway. And in fact, of the three pathways, the classical, the lectin, and the alternative pathway, it is the very initiating step of the classical pathway. A lot of attention has been paid to the alternative pathway and intervening at C3 or even C5. But because C1Q starts the entire classical pathway, which involves C3, and C5, selective inhibition of C1Q will shut down all the tissue damaging components of the classical pathway. That's C4, C3, C5, C9, while allowing the immune functions of the other two pathways, the lectin and the alternative complemented pathways to continue without disruption. And so it's really worthwhile targeting the classical pathway. Um, Right now, we have um, one company targeting C3 and the other company targeting C5, but by targeting C1Q, we will actually get both of those. So to answer your second question as to why targeting C1Q seems like a, a good target, C1Q is in the neighborhood of geographic atrophy. So there is a high local expression of C1Q in the retina by infiltrating macrophages. We now know that macrophages play a part in geographic atrophy. There are C1Q activators present in all the layers of the outer retina. And interestingly, when we stain drusen for C1Q, there is a high degree of C1Q accumulation on drusen in the human retina. So what I'd like to say is it could be guilty by association. It's in the neighborhood um, where geographic atrophy is occurring. So I think it's a very good target. 
What do we know about the design of ANX007? So ANX007 is a fab. It is a fragment of an antibody. And similar to the other ones we use in ophthalmology, it is recombinant and humanized. Um, it's a fragment of a monoclonal antibody that has a molecular weight of about 48 kilodaltons. So ANX007 is not dissimilar to a lot of the antibody technology we're currently using in the field of retina. The Phase two Archer study examined ANX007 for the treatment of geographic atrophy. What was the study design and who was enrolled? So the Archer study is currently ongoing. It's a Phase two study evaluating the effect of ANX007 for patients with geographic atrophy. And they're randomized to either monthly or every other month dosing with 5.0 milligrams of ANX007. And of course, there's a monthly sham group and a monthly every other month uh, injection group. And um, we're looking for patients with geographic atrophy that can be center involved or not center involved. Um, they can have um, uh, coronal neovascularization in the fellow eye. And, um, you know, it matches a lot of the other inclusion criteria that we currently see in GA studies. There's one more important uh, feature of the Archer study. Uh, one is that it's, it's very good science. It's 240 patients. The treatment period is for 12 months. And then there's an off-treatment follow-up period of six months, which will allow us to see if there is an inflection point in any treatment effect that we may see. Um, so overall, patients will be followed for 18 months. Dr. Holkamp, tell me about the primary endpoint of the Archer study. Well, as a phase two clinical trial, the primary endpoint is a mean change in GA lesion area from baseline. But there are key secondary endpoints as well, such as safety and tolerability, but also the effect on visual function and visual acuity, things like reading speed or um, uh, low luminance visual acuity and other secondary endpoints. There's been some speculation that targeting uh, a target further downstream in the complement system might mitigate any risk of using the complement system as a target. Here, we're targeting the beginning of the pathway. Is there any theoretical risk with targeting something that high upstream? Oh, we completely understand the theoretical risk, um, but we also think there are some advantages because we're targeting the classical pathway, both the lectin and the alternative pathway are untouched. And so we're not shutting down all complement immunity. So um, there could be some advantages to targeting the classical pathway. Were there any safety data from the phase one explorations? So the phase one studies are actually in glaucoma, and that's a slightly different story because uh, C1Q actually has some neuroprotective properties. And so the glaucoma field is very interested in inhibiting C1Q. So the phase one data we have in humans 
um, is from the glaucoma literature, and it was well tolerated at all doses. The doses tested were one milligram in three patients, 2.5 milligrams in three patients, five milligrams in three patients. Again, it was a single injection dose escalation phase 1A study. There's also a phase 1B study with multiple injections at the 2.5 milligram dose and the 5 milligram dose. And because it was well tolerated at all doses, the Archer study did plan to move ahead with the 5 milligram dose. What can we expect from ANX007 in the coming years? Well, it's really great that the phase 2 study is enrolling quickly. So hopefully we will see some positive data in the phase two study that allows for the design of a phase three study. And what I think we're going to see is very good inhibition of the complement factors that we know to be involved in GA, such as C3, C5, but also C4 and C9. And I think we may realize that there's a better mousetrap out there and it may come from inhibiting the classical pathway. Lots of great information here. Dr. Holkamp, thank you so much for joining us. You are very welcome. It was my pleasure. That's it for this episode of New Retina Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll be able to find New Retina Radio. This was our final episode of ASRS 2021 coverage, but you can go back into your podcast feed to hear our earlier episodes and keep an eye out for AAO 2021 coverage, which is right around the corner. 